Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. Always thankful to have you here. Today, I want to talk about having a thin endometrial lining and what that means. Now, most of the time, this is going to be in IVF or embryo transfer cycles, although this can be relevant in ovulation induction or IUI cycles. So anytime we are looking at the uterus, at the ovaries with ultrasound, what does it mean when you have a thin lining? What are the causes? And what kind of things can we think about when it comes to fixing this in the future? If you are new here, I just want to tell you, thank you for joining. The As A Woman podcast has been around a very long time, and there are so many different episodes on different topics. The entire reason this podcast exists is so that you can learn more about your body. That is the plain and simple truth. I realize that a lot of my patients or the people who follow me on social media just didn't get the information they needed, and a simple... Instagram post or a short video really wasn't enough to dive into some of these topics. So two things. One, on the website, nataliecrawfordmd.com, there is a tab for resources. And you may not know this, but there's a search bar. So you can type in embryo transfer and you can see all the content I've ever made, whether it's YouTube videos, blog posts, or other podcast episodes. So if you are looking for something, if you're in a certain season of your life, go and check that out. The second is that there is a newsletter that I send out. And this newsletter just has general updates, but it also is where fertility in the news went and where I do a QA. and a So you can ask your questions every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. We will answer some on Instagram, some in the newsletter, and then some every week here on the podcast. So for fertility's sake, our weekly Q&A segment will be at the very end. So when you're done listening to this episode, you're going to find random answers to your questions. You can subscribe to the newsletter. It's really easy. nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. And then you can get the newsletter right in your inbox. It also has recipes, some of my favorite things, and just little updates, but it's not spam. It's fun and it keeps you learning. So I always think it's nice to get something in your inbox that has a purpose, a quick little question and answer, and a quick little news update about something you may not know. And lastly, some of my favorite podcast episodes are actually when you call and leave a question and I get to answer your voicemails. You can call and leave a voicemail 657-229-3672 and we will answer your voicemail. These are always fun and you have a much higher chance of getting your question answered because I get fewer voicemails than the thousands of questions on Monday. So if you put a question in the Monday question box, we are trying to get to it, I swear. But if you have a burning question, just call the voicemail 
657-229-3672. All right, so I'm going to talk about a thin endometrial lining today. What is that? What defines it? And why does it matter? The first thing I want to say whenever I talk about this is that who knows what normal people's lining are out in the wild. Unless we are looking, we do not know. So plenty of people get pregnant with a thin lining. I'm sure of it. We like to have data points for what we feel like is good. And there's certainly some pathologic or physiological reasons why people might develop a thin lining. And sometimes this means that treatment should be changed. The cycle should be canceled. But in the same light, sometimes this is just what your body makes. So we don't want to strive for some unrealistic goal and never get to our outcome. When it comes to the lining, what is the lining of the uterus? So remember that the uterus is different layers. You have the outer layer, which is the serosa. You have the inner layer, which makes up most of the uterus, which is called the myometrium. And this is the muscular portion that contracts and allows you to give birth and allows the uterus to grow and expand. And then you have the inner layer called the endometrium. And the endometrium actually has its own different layers. It has some cells, like in the basal layer, that regenerate the surface layer, which is what bleeds every month. So when we think about having your period, what you're actually doing is shutting off the endometrium. So that endometrium is what you bleed. You need to have a fresh endometrium for a new implantation. And this is what we are looking at when we are doing an ultrasound. So on an ultrasound, when we are measuring the lining, we're measuring the endometrium. And when we do this, we're really looking for a few different things. The most important is actually that the lining is organized. I think most patients think it's the thickness, but it's truly that it is organized, meaning a lining that's been exposed to estrogen only, which is where it should be before ovulation, before implantation, is what we call trilaminar. Trilaminar means these layers are very distinct. You can actually see three parallel lines if you are looking at it on ultrasound. This is a very good thing. The second thing is that it's not irregular or have any defects or homogenous areas. So if you don't see a trilaminar lining, what are the different reasons? One can be earlier production of progesterone than you anticipated. Progesterone actually condenses and reorganizes the lining, makes it more what we call homogenous. It looks more solid, a consistent white. You lose those three layers. But there's other things such as endometrial polyps, fibroids, a prior uterine septum, scar tissue that is going to prohibit the lining from having this trilaminar appearance. So if you're not seeing it, my brain's always thinking, Did they ovulate? Did they grow a follicle? Did they take the wrong medications? Did we miss something? Has a polyp grown? Has this person had an evaluation of the uterine cavity? That's what's going through my brain if I'm not seeing what I want to see. And then we have endometrial thickness. So the thickness is actually the measurement from the top to the bottom line of that trilaminar appearance. You can clearly see this on ultrasound. Now one, Somebody needs to make sure they're really in the right view of the ultrasound. It does depend where you put the measurement markers. Different people might get different measurements, and we're talking millimeters, people. So when somebody's often millimeters, we're often millimeters, meaning these are very tiny measurements of what we're doing. The truth is there's very little data looking at people naturally. So if you say, hey, well, what is the lining of people who are naturally trying to get pregnant? We don't really have a huge study where we've just ultrasounded everybody. 
The vast majority of data on endometrial thickness comes from IVF or embryo transfer cycles. Now, when you look at a study comparing people who were doing ovulation induction and they were comparing unstimulated cycles versus people who used Clomid or used injectable hormones, the group that was unstimulated had a mean lining of 6.4 millimeters. However, this was measured from either one day before to one day after when they started to surge, have a natural surge, meaning there starts to be some progesterone production. One of the biggest keys here is when you measure the lining, in the cycle, you should expect different outcomes. This is why most people don't measure after you've had progesterone because we know it compacts and we don't have data telling us exactly what level of compaction is normal, good, bad, etc. People are looking at it, but that data doesn't mean much to us. The time period where people are looking is typically earlier. Now we do have some data looking at IVF cycles, and this has led us to be very OCD about trying to get a thicker lining when it comes to IVF. So there was some initial data saying that if the lining was less than eight to nine millimeters, you had lower rates of success or of pregnancy. And so this led a lot of people to be very influenced trying to get to that lining of at least eight or at least nine. And some studies that have looked at success rates cut off people on the bottom end, therefore not giving us that information. When you looked at a study looking at natural cycles, so in natural cycle FET, you're still watching with ultrasound, but you're not using any medications. The person is just growing an egg and that egg is making estrogen and that estrogen is growing the lining. This is going to more clearly replicate what's happening in the real world. And in that study, there was no difference in people who had a lining of less than seven millimeters to over seven millimeters. And that's important because a lot of the studies looking at lining have had a lower end threshold of seven. In the study said that there was no significant difference between people who had under that or over that. And this was a decent study with over 400 patients, which when you're doing IVF studies, that's a decent number. Now, there was another study just looking at fresh, frozen IVF outcomes and analysis of over 40,000 embryo transfers. So this was published in Human Reproduction. Importantly, this is retrospective data. What does that mean? If your cycle got canceled because your lining was thin, we don't have you in the database. So you're going to have a smaller number of thinner lining. And this was the study that most people are talking about, what I said before with eight. So in this study, retrospective study, so the live birth rate in fresh cycles, so meaning I stimulated you, I got your eggs to grow, and now I'm taking them out and having an embryo and I'm putting it back inside, they were lower for every millimeter decrease below eight millimeters. And in a frozen embryo transfer, it was live birth rates were lower for every millimeter thickness below seven millimeters. So this study was really looking at, okay, what should be our goals if we're trying to do a transfer in a fresh or a frozen cycle? And these were stimulated cycles on both ends. And that is why we have set some of these arbitrary goals like seven millimeters. Meaning if you come and you're doing an embryo transfer and I am scanning and you ask, what are we looking for the lining to be? Most people are going to tell you in the ideal world, I like it to be at least seven. That's because of this very large study. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. 
Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. That being said... That lining is not always attainable for everybody. And as I previously said, some people will cancel you at a lower thickness. So when you looked at no lower end cutoff, and I mean, it's not wrong to cancel if you think somebody can do better and I'll come back to that. But when you look at a lot of these big studies, they have a lower end where you didn't qualify for the study if your lining was less than X. So how does that help me understand if a thin lining is doable? All right. So we do have a more recent study published in 2021 in Fertility and Sterility, and they looked at success rates and embryo transfer without a lower cutoff. Okay. This had around 500 patients. So it wasn't the biggest study in the world, but still again for an embryo transfer or IVF study, pretty good. They categorized all the patients based on the millimeter of lining, four to 4.9, five to 5.9. And it went as down as low as four and as high as 16.9 in the study where really there was only one patient in each group. Now, the cumulative was that this was not significant depending on which group you were in. So this said, Hey, live birth and miscarriage rates was not statistically different based on these different groups. So of course there were statistics done, but just to hear some of the live birth rates per frozen embryo transfer, just thinking about some of these numbers. Okay. So between five to 5.9 millimeters, it was 45%. Between eight to 8.9, it was 33.9%. Between nine to 9.9, it was 33.3%. Between 12 to 12.9, 44.4%. So these numbers in the middle ground really were not that different. And I do think that that gives us a little bit of hope, let's say, or reassurance that for patients who can only achieve a thinner lining, that might not be terrible. That might be their potential. Now, when it comes to lining, I am going to talk about in a second ovulation induction cycles, but let's stay on the embryo transfer cycle situation for a minute. Here's what I do. 
I am going to look at your fresh IVF cycle because hypothetically, that's the best you can do, right? In your IVF cycle, even if I didn't do an embryo transfer, this is when I'm giving you lots of FSH and I'm getting the maximum number of eggs to grow. Therefore, you're making lots of estrogen. And so that uterine lining is being coated in estrogen. And that is a good indication for me of what range you should be in. Meaning if somebody only achieved a lining of 6.5 in their retrieval cycle, they are not going to have an eight or a nine in their embryo transfer, right? That's very unlikely. I mean, maybe they will, but if I'm shooting for nine and you only had 6.5 when your estrogen was 3000, why is it going to be higher when your estrogen is 200? So that's a good indication for me. Similarly, if your lining was 12 and beautiful in your IVF cycle, and now it's only 5.5 in your embryo transfer, I can look at you and say, I think you can do better than this. This lining isn't reflective of your best potential. So I do think it's important to have some comparison. I will say it does depend on when you're looking at the lining, because as we said earlier, progesterone changes it. So sometimes your very last lining check, it might've already started to condense. So if you're undergoing an embryo transfer, I would want to say, hey, what was your peak lining in your egg retrieval cycle? That's just an idea of what your potential is. Not that you have to hit that number again, but let's think about it as categorizing you for a range, which we want to try to achieve. And then just to drive home this point one more time, fresh cycles and frozen cycles are different and your lining goal in a fresh cycle is going to be different than your lining goal in a frozen cycle. So last study to quote here was a more recent study, which was published in 2022 in fertility and sterility, looking at over 96,000 embryo transfers. Again, this is retrospective. So all of these actually had a transfer, but what it shows is that in fresh cycles, live birth rates plateaued after seven to 12 millimeters. And in frozen cycles, they plateaued after seven to 10, meaning there wasn't a huge difference once you got to that range or anything more. So you had an improvement in live birth rates with increasing thickness until you got into this range. And then there was really no difference this or above. So in fresh cycles, 10 to 12 and frozen, it was seven to 10. So obviously very different, still fine. And in both of these, a thickness of less than six millimeters was associated with a dramatic drop in live birth rates in both fresh and frozen. So this is good, right? We have all this other data saying seven or eight to nine or this or that, and this is pushing it back lower. And this is what we've seen as a trend in the field, right? We're no longer feeling like you have to get to eight millimeters to be optimal. But if you're less than six, we're really trying to think about why and is this your maximum? So again, comparing to before, or could something be going on? So in these circumstances, it's really important to understand the difference and the different cycle types, because one of the things we can do is change the protocol or change the medications we're using. In an embryo transfer, you have the options of growing the lining again naturally. This is a natural cycle or a modified natural. This means your body is starting to grow an egg. And as that egg grows, it makes estrogen. Pros, some people respond better to their endogenous estrogen. Cons, I don't know when you're going to start to ovulate. I can't push you any further. Once you start surging, you're starting to see progesterone. And remember, progesterone opens and closes the implantation window. And then I get stuck to this timeline. So I don't get to say, oh, let's go a little bit longer and see how it looks. 
And then also it's just unpredictable. Your body's going to grow an egg at the rate it's going to do it. You have to come in for more visits, and I don't know when the transfer is going to be. And some people don't ovulate, and then some people ovulate very dysfunctionally. So the older you are, the lower your ovarian reserve may not be a protocol everybody can utilize. In a controlled or medicated cycle, you are giving somebody estrogen. And there are lots of different versions of this. You can suppress beforehand with nothing, birth control, Lupron, Combo, Letrozole, different things. But you grow the lining with estrogen. And estrogen can be given orally, vaginally, in patches, injectable. Most people do oral pills because they're pretty cheap and easy. And that's usually the standard. In a cycle like that, you come in for a lining check, and if it's less than your potential, very often you can just push the transfer by a few days and see if either longer estrogen exposure or adding in a different route of administration. So for me, in a controlled cycle, one of the first things going through my mind, okay, you come in, your lining is thinner than I want it to be. I look at your fresh. Yep, you can do better. It looks organized, so it looks pretty but it's thinner than I think it should be. First thing I'm going to try is adding some additional estrogen in a different form and bringing you back. And this is because people metabolize like oral estrogen very differently. So my classic is going to be if you're on oral, come in, I don't like it. All right, then we're going to try vaginal and I'll bring you back. And we can see how that looks after that. So that's usually my first line thought is if you're in a controlled, can I change how I'm administering the estrogen? Let's say that still doesn't get there in either protocol. I'm thinking, did it look organized? Just it didn't meet its goal for whatever reason. And I have reason to believe you have a higher goal than this. All right. Should I consider changing the protocol? Starting with a different estrogen combination from the beginning. Should I try a modified natural? If I did a plain natural, should I try to stimulate more extra grow with gonadotropins or should I try estrogen? So number one, can I push it longer and save this cycle? Number two, can I change the protocol for the next cycle? personally hate doing the same thing. If I canceled you because I didn't like the lining, why is it going to look different? Number three, and this one more goes, if either I'm changing things up and I can't get there or it's homogenous or not perfectly trilaminar or something is up, go and look with hysteroscopy. Hysteroscopy is a camera inside the uterus. So doing that is going to allow you to see inside and then see if there is any small areas of scar tissue, or something abnormal that is preventing that lining from growing. Most people, not everybody, but most people before they get to a transfer zone or any pregnancy cycle are having an evaluation of the uterine cavity, either with a saline sonogram, a FEMVU, an HSG. Those are screening tests. They are not perfect. The gold standard is a camera inside the uterus. So if you don't like what you see, go and put a camera in, make sure you're not missing something. And then there's kind of the more off-the-cuff stuff, meaning, should I try Viagra? That's something that has been studied and looks like it can help. It helps improve blood flow to the uterus, uses Viagra vaginally. So that is something that has been evaluated and looked at. There have been lots of studies looking at growth hormone or PRP and some of those adjuvant things, and none of them have been consistent. So that is not something that is routinely done unless you're part of a study at this moment. And then again, I'm always thinking about why. What was your lining in your fresh cycle? If you had a 6.5 in your fresh, in your egg retrieval cycle, I'm unlikely to get much more than that. So making sure that I think about that before we even get started. But what can cause a thin lining? So one, long-term exposure to progesterone. 
This is going to be one of the top ones. So you used continuous birth control pills, the oral contraceptive pill that's combined estrogen, progesterone, and you skipped periods. So maybe you used it for three months at a time and had a bleed. Maybe you used it every day for years and years. That is fine. You did not hurt yourself. However, when the uterus has only seen progesterone for a really long time, it thins out the lining. That's because of that daily progesterone exposure. Now, this is not a bad thing. You have light to no periods, less cramping, less bleeding, less anemia. But now that you want to be pregnant, it's less ideal. So what do we have to know about that? This is one of the reasons why you will hear me say, if you're coming off a progesterone-based contraceptive and you have no periods, so the continuous birth control pill, a progesterone IUD, a progesterone implant in your arm, the Depo-Provera shot. You need to stop that contraceptive well before you want to get pregnant at minimum three to six months so that you give your body time to ovulate and have some unopposed estrogen so that you can start to have a period again. And some people will get a period right away. Some people won't. And sometimes it's because of delay of ovulation, but often it's actually delay of having a thick enough lining to bleed. So you might start ovulating right away when you stop that continuous pill, but there's no lining to bleed. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual is essential for women 18 and plus, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence. So every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. In cases where we jump from this into IVF, which to be fair is not often, right? Most people have been off of contraceptive for a while before they are trying IVF because they tried naturally, but not everybody, right? Some people come in for different reasons and we're trying to get pregnant and we were preventing pregnancy. You know, maybe we have a genetic disease or maybe we got married late and now we just want to accelerate things. I don't really care why, but if you are coming into an embryo transfer, 
off of prolonged contraception where you had no period, I will often stop it and then do what we call estrogen priming, giving you some estrogen for a while to really thicken up that lining, oversaturate it, get it to grow again, and then have you bleed that before we begin. And that can be a way to kind of help overcome some of that prolonged progesterone exposure. But this is definitely something we see in natural cycles when you are first starting to try to get pregnant after coming off of that contraceptive. Another thing which can cause a thin lining can be scar tissue inside the uterus. So scar tissue inside the uterus can be from a prior IUD, any prior procedure, prior termination of pregnancy, prior DNC, prior birth, anything. Now the most common are going to be traumatic in the setting of infection or heavy blood loss because of that repair. So this is going to be a postpartum DNC, a DNC for a retained placenta, a septic abortion, right? This is one of the hugest reasons why some of these abortion laws, you might hear somebody say they cause infertility because if you have to get septic, life-threatened before you can intervene on a pregnancy that you're losing, that infection is very likely to scar the inside of your uterus and make it so we can't grow a thin lining. Top cause of Asherman syndrome. Asherman syndrome is an obliteration of the endometrial tissue with scar, causing you to have no periods. So these things are all well-connected. So scarring inside the uterus. Some scar can be repaired. Not all scar. There are cases where I have taken patients to surgery over and over again, and sometimes you cannot completely heal the uterus based on how deep the surgeon had to go to fix the problem. And it's not to blame anybody. If you're infected, if you have an infected placenta, infected tissue in your uterus, and they're going in and scraping that out to save your life, they are wanting to get every infected cell out of your body. But if they scrape off all of those basal cells that regenerate that endometrium, you've got no endometrium, no ability to grow it, and you're going to be left with a uterus full of scar. So one thing, scar tissue. When we go and repair scar tissue, we're cutting it, we're doing hysteroscopy, camera inside the uterus. Everybody does it different, but very often there is some post-surgical method to try to prevent more scar tissue from coming back. Other things, again, same line that can cause scar, prior C-sections. Prior C-sections can cause defects into the uterus where you can have a lining accumulation or abnormal blood flow. Prior fibroids being removed, especially if they were large or multiple, can disrupt the blood supply. And I've had patients who've had part of their uterus sewn completely shut after having a fibroid removed. So surgery on the uterus is not benign. Everybody should take it seriously. Doesn't mean it doesn't have an indication. Absolutely. Some fibroids have to be taken out. Absolutely. If you need a C-section, you need a C-section. If you have a retained placenta, it's got to come out. So these things have indication, but there might be a potential complication. Another thing that we see is some of these procedures typically done for heavy bleeding, uterine fibroids, postpartum bleeding is where you go and you do like uterine artery embolization, meaning you are putting gel foam. This is actually done by radiology in the uterine arteries so that you can prevent blood flow to the uterus. This stops acute bleeding. It can be life-saving, but it can disrupt the blood flow and make it so you can't grow a lining later. And then one last thing to think about is what we call a uterine septum or a birth defect inside the uterus. A septum is an avascular piece of tissue. It can be hard to diagnose unless you're doing the right type of imaging, but it is often seen with a thinner lining than you would expect. But when you do the appropriate imaging or go do hysteroscopy, you'll see there's a septum. 
You can cut it out, heal the uterus, and then you anticipate the lining to grow much better after that. You can have, again, polyps or fibroids, just that disruption of the surface area of the endometrium can cause things to look abnormal. And just from having a prior pregnancy loss, you can have scarring. So I've had patients who had a natural pregnancy loss, but a piece of placenta stayed behind, caused scarring, thin lining, abnormalities. Typically, these things actually look irregular, so you don't get that beautiful trilaminar appearance and you know something's up. But just in general, let's just say structurally is something wrong with the uterus. You're going to need to make sure that's not happening. Two, is the protocol appropriate? What can we do to change it? Can we try different estrogen? Can we try a different protocol? Can we try adding in vaginal Viagra, something that's going to cause a different looking lining? Number three, is this the best you're going to get? Is this just your expectation? And I go back to people in the wild get pregnant. We have no idea what their lining is. And I have done transfers and I will continue to do transfers and patients who have a pretty but a thin lining if that is what I think is their potential. If your doctor cancels your cycle, they are doing so out of love. Let's just say those embryos are very precious. You should want a team who is making sure you have the highest chance of success. You should want a team who's paying attention and not just doing the transfer no matter what, not just going based off protocol, pounding patients out, right? Most places, like I lose money and statistics when I cancel your cycle. I'm not going to charge you to come back in immediately. But some people will just say, hey, I can make double the money. I can do this transfer. It's not going to work. We're going to have to do it again. Or you're going to have to go get more embryos. Y'all, that's terrible, but... I'm not going to act like there aren't people out there who are thinking about it from a financial standpoint. Shady. So you should want a team. If somebody's bringing up cancellation, they are doing it because they care about you and they care about your outcome and they want what is best. Similarly, if your doctor says, you know, I look, your peak cycle or your peak lining and your prior cycle, it was only six and a half millimeters. That's what we have right now. This is what I think is your best. It looks great. We should go forward. They've done their homework. I would trust them. Ask questions. So there's a lot that goes into this. What we do know is that we really, in the perfect world, would love to get that lining, let's say higher than six, based on the most recent data. It's not possible for everybody. Further, what we also know is that there's not the same level of thickness needed in frozen cycles as fresh. And so that's good. It's not like 16 is better than seven. And then just to say that in embryo transfers, this is not the only time we're ever looking at this. In ovulation induction and IUI cycles, the lining can actually be impacted as well. And one of the top things here is actually Clomid. So we've gone away from using Clomid. It used to be the first line drug for everybody. It is still used in some people in certain circumstances. But when we're trying to get somebody to ovulate or trying to get somebody to ovulate more than one egg, what we're trying to do is get the brain to release more FSH. I can give you FSH shots. That's more expensive and actually is associated with more risks. Higher order pregnancies is actually very hard to get your narrow goal. So most of the time when we're trying to do this, we're using oral medications, which change your hormones to get the brain to release more FSH. So option one is Clomid. Clomid is what we call a CIRM. Selective estrogen receptor modulator. What this means 
is that it is going to go in and bind to estrogen receptors selectively, and it impacts them differently. So in the brain, there's estrogen receptors, and when Clomid binds, it's complete. The brain freaks out, thinks you're in menopause, you have no estrogen, sends out a surge of FSH to try to get the ovaries to make more estrogen or grow an egg, and you often get some other side effects. So some of these can be hot flashes, can be headaches, irritability, difficulty sleeping, mood changes, That's because of this profound drop in estrogen. But friends, you know there are estrogen receptors inside the uterus. So people can actually have a thinning lining because of the impact of Clomid inside the uterus. It's not everybody, but it is well known a risk. So if you are doing a Clomid cycle and the lining is thin, we might want to either add some extra estrogen on, try to overcome that, or switch medication to letrozole. Letrozole works differently. It is what we call an aromatase inhibitor, but it essentially eats up estrogen in the periphery. So it's still being made. The receptors inside the uterus are not being touched. Lining is growing the same way. Your estrogen is just dropping in your blood. So your brain sends out more FSH. It's not a complete block like Clomid. So the side effects and the symptoms are much more mild. Okay, well, I hope this helped answer some questions about a thin lining. In general, I really do feel like our thought has switched as a field as we've gotten more data, meaning we're tolerating thinner linings. We're really paying attention to what you did in your peak estrogen cycle. We're looking at protocols differently. We're doing modified natural cycles. We're having different adjuncts that we're adding in, quicker to go to surgery and make sure things are fine. So If you have questions, the take-home message is that your doctor should always answer them. And if your doctor is not, that's not a great scenario. So know your own data, be able to advocate for yourself. I think that is all super important for anybody who's going through this process. All right. Well, here at the end of the episode, we are going to answer your fertility questions. This is in For Fertility's Sake, our weekly Q&A Again, you can ask questions on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every single Monday. Questions will be answered there, the newsletter, and here on the podcast. You can also call and leave a voicemail so that we can answer your questions on those live Q&A episodes, 657-229-3672. All right, can you get pregnant with one fallopian tube? The answer is actually yes, you can. Now, your chances are going to be decrease depending on one, the reason why you had another tube removed or blocked, and two, depending on your entire scenario, based, do you have an ovary, do you not, which side, do you ovulate regularly? But to answer what the root of this question is, is typically, if I'm ovulating and I only have one tube, can I still get pregnant even if I ovulate on that side where there is no tube? Remember that the ovaries are relatively fixed in the pelvis. They do move a little bit, but the fallopian tubes have a full range of motion. People usually think about them or the analogy we always talk about, which is so terrible is those little blown up things you see outside the mattress store or the car dealership that have air in them and they wiggle around. Your fallopian tubes are like that and they are drawn towards areas where there is an egg. So one tube can 100% get an egg from the other side. Is an ERA worth it? An ERA is an endometrial receptivity analysis test. This is a test that came out trying to solve the why am I having issues implanting question or why do I have a recurrent miscarriage? Like many things in this field, this test got pushed out into the public. Clinics could make money off of it well before there was data supporting it. It went from people who have true recurrent implantation failure. Remember that's defined as three 
euploid embryos that have failed to implant, that's what it was originally studied on, into, well, people who don't have very many embryos or people in their last or people before their first. And there are some clinics who do an ERA before the first transfer for everybody. In general, what is an ERA? It is when you stimulate the lining, you start progesterone like you would for a transfer, but instead of putting an embryo inside, you're going to take a sample of the endometrium and you're going to send it off to a lab, which looks at the ratio of estrogen and progesterone. Now, it's not that this test has no indication, but in recent studies, we have definitely seen people who do an ERA just empirically before a transfer or after one failed transfer have actually lower rates of success if you follow the ERA than if you do not do it or you just transfer on day six. So we've been rolling under this idea that an ERA is either neutral or helpful, but the emerging data is actually that it can be harmful. This is shifting how much progesterone you're exposed to. And overall, most of us feel like this test was just introduced into the population too soon. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I never do it, but for the vast majority of people, the test really is only going to spend you money and time, and it actually may hurt your chances. So that is a complicated situation. And I think it's very important to talk to your team directly about why you may or may not be a good candidate for this. All right. Can hypothyroidism impact my ability to have a baby? The answer is yes. And I do have podcast episodes and YouTube videos all about thyroid disease. Hypothyroidism is when your body is not making enough circulating thyroid hormone. In this situation, your thyroid stimulating hormone, which is a hormone that comes from the pituitary gland is high because it is trying to stimulate the thyroid gland to make more thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone is so important for your metabolism, your brain function, your menstrual cycles, so many different functions of your body. The pituitary gland, when it starts spending a lot of effort making TSH, it does start to get to the point where it can interfere with the pituitary gland sitting on appropriate levels of other hormones. And that is why it can, one, cause irregular periods. You can actually have amenorrhea or no periods at all with a very abnormal thyroid. And obviously, if you're not ovulating, that makes it harder to get pregnant. Secondarily, abnormal thyroid labs, specifically hypothyroidism, has been associated with an increase of miscarriage, and severe levels have been associated with developmental delay and issues with the baby when it comes to learning disorders and the mental functioning of your fetus. And this is because your baby doesn't make any thyroid hormone, even though it's critical until the second trimester. So it's totally dependent on maternal thyroid hormone levels. And if you don't have enough, there's not enough to give the baby. People feel real different about supplementing with thyroid, yay or nay. But in the take-home message, taking additional thyroid hormone is going to be the safest thing for your baby if your levels are low. The end. Often people need increasing amounts throughout the pregnancy. It's usually a weight-based dosing. Untreated thyroid disease can also cause different obstetrical complications like preterm birth, growth restriction, and things like that. So this is definitely a hormone that can impact one, your fertility, two, your ability to keep a pregnancy or miscarry, and three, the outcome of your pregnancy and your baby's health. All right. My luteal phase is 10 days, but progesterone levels are normal. Is this okay? Y'all, let's remember, progesterone levels tell you nothing in the luteal phase. Or what do they tell you? Maybe it's pop quiz, quiz friends, if you've been around. What does a progesterone tell you? The only thing a luteal progesterone is telling you is, did you ovulate or did you not? So any level greater than three equals ovulation. 
There is no progesterone level that tells you that you do not have a luteal phase defect. And anybody who's using numerical values is doing so outside of any evidence to support that that is actually something you can do. We have progesterone levels that help dictate if a pregnancy might be normal or abnormal. And that's very different because in a pregnancy, HCG is stimulating the corpus luteum to constantly make progesterone. In the luteal phase, LH pulses from the brain are telling the corpus luteum to make progesterone in pulses. So a random luteal level is only going to tell you if you ovulated can be anywhere from 3 to 40. So what does that mean? If you have a luteal phase defect, what are the signs? It is a clinical diagnosis. Luteal phase less than 12 days. So if you know when you ovulate, you know when your next period starts and it's less than 12 days, that's concerning. Or luteal spotting. Not necessarily ovulatory spotting because some people do get ovulation spotting, but if you are spotting for these days leading up to your period, that is concerning. So one day of spotting, not so bad, but if you spot for four or five days before your period begins, why? Did your progesterone drop early or was it not enough? What really is happening? So most of us believe there is such a thing as luteal phase defect and it is the earliest stage of an ovulation issue. You are ovulating, but your corpus luteum is not strong enough to fully make progesterone as long as it needs to. Therefore, it can't live as long, your phase is shorter, or you have that bleeding. The treatment here is going to be taking either progesterone supplements, that's one option, but you need to take them in the luteal phase, or two, ovulation induction, medications like Clomid or Femaraletrazole, or three, a combination of both of these. Okay, y'all, hope that helped. As always, thank you so much for your support of the As A Woman podcast. If you have questions for fertility's sake, you can ask on Mondays on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call the As A Woman voicemail, 657-229-3672. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.